If you have your Bibles, please go ahead and open them with me again to Genesis, Genesis chapter 7 this morning. As we continue in our study today of the book of Genesis, we will once again be reading the entire chapter together. Genesis chapter 7, verse 1. Then the Lord said to Noah, Go into the ark, you and all your household, for I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. Take with you seven pairs of all clean animals, the male and his mate, and a pair of the animals that are not clean, the male and his mate, and seven pairs of the birds of the heavens also, male and female, to keep their offspring alive on the face of all the earth. For in seven days I will send rain on the earth, forty days and forty nights, and every living thing that I have made I will blot out from the face of the ground." And Noah did all that the Lord had commanded him. Noah was 600 years old when the flood of waters came upon the earth. And Noah and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him went into the ark to escape the waters of the flood. Of clean animals and of animals that are not clean and of birds and of everything that creeps on the ground, two and two, male and female, went into the ark with Noah as God had commanded Noah. And after seven days, the waters of the flood came upon the earth. In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, on the 17th day of the month, on that day, all the fountains of the great deep burst forth, and the windows of the heavens were opened, and rain fell upon the earth 40 days and 40 nights. On the very same day, Noah and his sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and Noah's wife and the three wives of his sons with them entered the ark. They and every beast according to its kind, and all the livestock according to their kinds, and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth according to its kind, and every bird according to its kind, every winged creature. They went into the ark with Noah, two and two of all flesh, in which there was the breath of life. And those that entered, male and female of all flesh, went in as God had commanded him, and the Lord shut him in. The flood continued 40 days on the earth. The waters increased and bore up the ark, and it rose high above the earth. The waters prevailed and increased greatly on the earth, and the ark floated on the face of the waters. And the waters prevailed so mightily on the earth that all the high mountains under the whole heaven were covered. The waters prevailed above the mountains, covering them 15 cubits deep. And all flesh died that moved on the earth. Birds, livestock, beasts, all swarming creatures that swarm on the earth, and all mankind." Everything on the dry land in whose nostrils was the breath of life died. He blotted out every living thing that was on the face of the ground, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens. They were blotted out from the earth. Only Noah was left and those who were with him in the ark. And the waters prevailed on the earth 150 days. Amen. May God bless the preaching of his word this morning. Near-death experiences. Near-death experiences make for great stories, but if they are truly near-death experiences, they are both sobering and very scary to remember. 
In 2002, I was a student leader on a missions trip to Brazil. As a team, we spent about two weeks serving a Word of Life camp there, while also visiting many different Amazon villages in the area, seeking to care for the wonderful Brazilian people. Towards the end of the trip, we took a one-day kind of rest day to go to the Amazon beach. Now, if you have never been to the Amazon beach or never seen pictures of it, it is a very powerful experience. The Amazon River is so big at certain points that you cannot see the other side of it. There are, there are waves crashing on the beach as if almost you're looking at the Pacific or Atlantic Ocean. It is an impressive display of power. When we arrived on the beach, our Brazilian tour guide took us for a walk along some of the rocks. He, he wanted to take us out to an island that was only a few hundred feet away and very easily accessible through very shallow and, and peaceful waters. So our whole team followed him and we spent just a little bit of time, maybe 20 to 30 minutes on that little island. The only problem was that our tour guide failed to tell us that the tide of the Amazon River rises and falls 15 feet every two hours. 15 feet, that's an extraordinary amount of water in a very short period of time. So that after having just been on that little island for about 20 to 30 minutes, the path back to the beach was no longer an easy or peaceful Walk. As we turned to go back to the beach, we saw that whole boulders that our entire team had stood on just a little while before were now quickly disappearing and that the current was rushing directly through the area that we had come through just a few moments before. Now that wasn't a huge problem for some of our team because we had some pretty good swimmers and so they just swam their way to the beach and they were very soon safely standing on the shore. But for the rest of the team, it wasn't quite as easy. We had an older gentleman in his 70s with us. We had a six-year-old girl with us. We had several teenagers who were not able to swim against the current. And, And what that meant was that some of us as leaders needed to help them across. We had to take several trips back and forth, each trip becoming more difficult as the current grew stronger and stronger each trip becoming longer and longer as more and more rocks that were once secure places to stand were now hidden from view. Each trip becoming more painful for us because our bodies were growing so tired. It was an agonizing 20 minutes. We, we got several people across wonderfully. We, we struggled to get a few more people across And then ultimately, there was one 16-year-old girl left behind who just couldn't make it. We, We tried multiple times to reach her, but we just couldn't get to her. Our bodies were growing weaker, and the current was growing stronger. But ultimately, this young girl was left with one rock to cling to. One Rock, everything else was swept from view as the currents of water poured through, but she was given one rock, one place of security to stand. Now, when we first, she first found that rock, when we knew that she was secure, we, we started crying out for help from the shore because we, we could not help her ourselves, and so we just started screaming our heads off, and eventually they figured out something was wrong, and they sent help to get her. When she first found that rock, the water was about up to her stomach, but by the time they reached her, it was up to her neck, right below her mouth. Once we were all on the beach, safe and secure, 
We just sat quietly for a very long time. There, there were no words to say. But the same thought was going through all of our minds. What if she had not found that one rock? What if she had not been given that one place of security to stand? What would have happened? What, what a horrific way to end our trip. What a catastrophe that would have been. None of us said very much, but we were all so thankful for that one rock that was used to save her life. Church, as we come to Genesis chapter 7 this morning, we find a not altogether different scenario than that near-death experience in Brazil. As we come to this text, we see destruction on the whole earth. We see what was once strong, stable, and secure places to stand being swept away by the judgment of the Lord. And only one rock, one ark, one place of security left to stand in order to give life and salvation. And folks, as we study this text, what we see is that as God's judgment will come against all the sinfulness of this world, it is the rock, the ark of God's grace that preserves and protects the people that he calls to himself. In fact, that's very close to our main idea here this morning. The main idea of our, our message here today is simply this. While God's judgment will prevail against sin, his grace will preserve those who are in Christ. Now, let me repeat that this morning because we're just going to split it in half for our two points today. Here it is. While God's judgment will prevail against sin, his grace will preserve those who are in Christ. Let's look at point number one. Point number one, God's judgment will prevail against sin. Folks, we need to begin this morning by, by simply discussing the reality of this flood. This is one of the most familiar stories in the Bible, right? Everybody knows about Noah and the flood. And yet, so many people today, even within the church, wonder whether this event actually happened or not. They wonder whether it was just a, a mythological story that was spiritualized over time. Many people, even in the church, do not believe that this is a historical reality. But friends, it need to be, needs to be said very clearly that as a church family, we do believe that this is a historical event. We believe that all of these details, Genesis 6, 7, 8, and 9, all happened. Now, Scripture obviously tells parables at times and gives stories and, and makes allegories in order to make a point. But the flood of God's judgment against this world in the days of Noah was not an allegory. It was not a parable. This really happened. And we can know that this really happened by, by, by noting a few points together this morning. First of all, notice how the text discusses this event. The text gives very specific details about what happened, and specifically, it gives lots of details about dates and times, right? Look at verse 11. It says, in the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, on the 17th day of the month, on that day, all the fountains of the great deep burst forth. Folks, listen, that's not how a mythological story begins, if this didn't happen in reality, then those details would not be included. Also, we know how factual this is 
by how Jesus himself, Jesus the, the Son of God, speaks about Noah and the flood in the New Testament. In Luke chapter 17, Jesus says to his disciples, just as it was in the days of Noah, so will it be in the days of the Son of Man. Jesus is clearly referring to a historical event to make his point. And then finally, we also see the New Testament writers after Jesus speak of Noah and the flood in a very factual way as well. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 5, Peter says this. He says, for they, speaking of false teachers who are distorting the truth, he says, for they deliberately overlooked this fact that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God and that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. P Peter's not talking about a mythological event in this text. He's, in his own words, speaking about facts. He's speaking about history. Friends, I actually think that it is because this event really happened that we see the flood spoken about many times, not just in our Bibles, but in other ancient writings and even in other religions as well. See, I have heard many people question the, the historical reality of the flood because they see other flood narratives in other ancient writings and religions. And if you have studied those things, you know that you really do see this. As you read ancient stories like the Epic of Gilgamesh, or, or the Aztec writings, or how Zeus, the king of the gods, was, was displeased with humanity and brought about a flood of nine days. As you study the, the Hindu and the Buddhist religion, you see that they all have flood stories as well. And many people would suggest that it, this therefore means that that this must have just been a mythological story that all of these different people and religions are using to their own spiritual advantage. But folks, I think it's the exact opposite of that. If so many religions in this world and so many of the ancient scripts speak of a flood in this way, doesn't it, doesn't it lead us to believe that there really was a flood and they all now are just trying to, to bring their own different interpretation or, or explanation to it? Folks, this really happened. And, and we don't need all of our questions about the flood, and there are many, we don't need all of them answered to know that this happened. As we have said before, the book of Genesis is not a science book. It's not a traditional history book. It is a theology and doxology book. It is helping us to know about God and how we should worship him. And so all of our questions will not always be answered as much as we wish that they were. So how did they fit all of the animals into the ark? That's a crazy question. Folks, I honestly don't know. I, I tend to think that they, they brought a male and a female of each creature onto the ark, but as a baby or as a puppy or whatever you want to call it, but very small so that there was more space for them all to fit. Another question is, is was the flood a global flood covering the whole sphere of the globe or was it just a more, more regional flood? Folks, I honestly don't know. I tend to think that it was truly global because Scripture speaks of it in that way and because of how verse 19 <clears throat> excuse me, talks about all of the high mountains being covered by at least 20 feet. We don't know all the answers to these questions, but that doesn't change the historical reality of this event. We are meant to know that this really happened, and even more so we are meant to know that this, know why this happened. Church, the flood 
was not just a natural disaster that happened to occur. No, the flood was an intentional act of judgment from God. It was intentional and it was personal. And if we have been following the the narrative of Genesis so far, this will make a lot of sense to us. This will not be a surprise, right? As we have studied chapters 1 to 6, we have seen evil growing in this world. Sin has been spreading throughout the globe. And we have seen God remain remarkably patient towards humanity in their sin. But we've also noted that God must punish sin. His holiness demands justice. He can't ignore evil. He must punish those who act wickedly in this world. Listen, I... I know that graphic examples like this of God's judgment can be very hard for us to, to stomach at times. It's difficult, but, but I honestly think that the fact that God is a God of justice should encourage us as his people this morning. Friends, we do not want to live in a world where evil is ignored and where justice is not upheld. No, we want justice Honestly, we need there to be a God of justice over all things. Otherwise, the the world and our suffering in this world will make no sense and have no purpose. No, we we need this. Thankfully, we get a very graphic display of it in Genesis chapter 7. Now, it's very interesting to see how the text describes this act of God's judgment. There are many things in this passage that are supposed to be set up as a contrast to the, to the creation account in Genesis 1 and 7. 1 and 2, I'm sorry. So, so two weeks ago, we noted how God saw that the earth was corrupt and filled with violence. And we noted how that is a very clear counterpoint to how God saw in chapter 1 that the earth was good. Sin has corrupted all things. We also see here in verse 9 that the the pairs of animals come to Noah. That's supposed to reflect the moment when God brought the animals to Adam in chapter 2, verse 19. In verse 10, it says that after seven days, the floodwaters would come upon the earth. That is meant to recall the seven days of creation. And then finally, the the description of water itself coming over the whole earth in verses 17 to 24. This this picture of of the water is supposed to be opposite of the creation account in chapter 1. Right? Chapter 1, we saw God separate the waters. God God brought order out of the chaos of the waters. He, He separated oceans from other oceans. He gave the waters a boundary and a limit on where they could go. God said in Genesis chapter 1, verse 9, Let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear. He's he's bringing order out of the chaos. But here in chapter 7, what do we see? We see the chaos returning. Friends, Genesis chapter 7, the flood, is quite literally a decreation of the world. It is God's demonstration of judgment against sin. It is yet another way of God showing us what a big deal our sin really is. Sin brings destruction to this world that God has made, and it brings destruction to our lives. Sin ruins everything. Sin distorts everything. And God is right and just to punish us because of our sin. And friends, we need to highlight... Something else in the text now. Notice again with me the word uh, prevailed. 
So we see it four times in verses 17 to 24. Verse 18 says, the waters prevailed and increased greatly on the earth. Verse 19, the waters prevailed so mightily on the earth. Verse 20, the waters prevailed above the mountains. Verse 24, the waters prevailed on the earth 150 days. This word prevailed means to triumph over in battle. God is having victory against sin in every way imaginable. He is completely victorious. Notice all of the extreme language used in these verses as well. Verse 17, the waters rose high above the earth. Verse 18, the waters increased greatly. Verse 19, so mightily. Verse 21, all flesh died. All swarming creatures, all mankind, everything on the dry land. Verse 23, he blotted out every living thing. Friends, this is a picture of God's judgment against all sin. His judgment, his justice will prevail against all evil. There is nothing. Listen, there is no mountain high enough. There is no creature big enough. There is no act of righteousness or good deed good enough to withstand the fury of God's wrath against our sin. There's just not. His justice will prevail. And so, Christian, this morning, be humbled by this today. Listen, apart from Jesus... Apart from the gospel, apart from God's grace in and through Christ on the cross, this is how God's judgment would have prevailed against you. Christians, stand in wonder at this this morning, at how he has saved you from this wrath. And listen, if, if you are not a Christian here this morning, if you are not a Christian here this morning, listen, I, I plead with you. I plead with you to consider the power of God's judgment against your sin. If you're not a Christian here this morning, friend, you need to know that you have not obeyed God as you should. Neither have I. None of us have. Friend, you need to know that you deserve God's judgment for your sinful rebellion. And listen, just because God is not wiping you out right now in this moment, that does not mean that his judgment will not prevail against you and against your sin ultimately. Folks, do you remember, do you remember the catastrophe of Hurricane Katrina? Back in 2005, Hurricane Katrina was the costliest hurricane on record caused over 1,800 deaths and over $125 billion in damage. I took multiple trips down to New Orleans on mission trips to help with, to clean up the storm, from the storm, and, and the amount of damage was almost incomprehensible. But friends, do you know what caused most of that damage? It actually wasn't the hurricane itself. It was that there was this levee this wall, which was supposed to hold back the waters, this, this levee had grown, grown old, not been maintained as it should. And when that hurricane came, it, it could not hold back the waters. It failed. It collapsed. It broke. And millions of gallons of water just destroyed everything in its path. 
Friend, if you are a non-Christian here this morning, you need to know that just because God does not wipe you out this morning in his justice, that that does not mean that his judgment is not being stored up for a coming day. His patience is the levy that is holding back his judgment against your sin. But there is coming a day when you will have to give an account. And if you have not put your faith in King Jesus, the one who endured God's wrath on your behalf, if you have not put your faith in that place, in that one, then the levy of God's patience will break and his wrath will come pouring down on you. And his wrath will prevail. Friends, what this text does for us this morning is it exhorts each and every one of us to consider what are we standing on for our hope and our confidence and our security this morning? What what are we relying on? What is it? Because if it is anything but God's grace in and through Jesus Christ, friends, it will not support us. Everything will fail except the rock of God's mercy and grace in and through Jesus Christ. Your career, it's going to fail. Your friends, they're going to fail you. Your family's going to fail you. Your money's going to family fail you. Your house is going to fail you. Your nation and your politics are going to fail you. Maybe most importantly for some of us in this room, your good works are going to fail you. Maybe you are trying to to stack up your good works, living a good Christian churchy life. Maybe you're trying to create this mountain of your own good deeds so that when God's judgment comes, you can stand on that self-made mountain and say, look, God, look at me. Look at all the things that I was able to do. I was a decent person. I was kind. I was, I was generous. Friend, it will not support you. God's judgment will prevail against anyone who is standing on anything other than his grace in and through his son, Jesus Christ. Which brings us wonderfully to our second point this morning. Point number two, God's grace will preserve his people. Genesis 7 is a sobering chapter. God's judgment is is severe. And listen, I I strongly believe that whenever we preach God's word, the, the message that we preach should reflect the primary feeling of the text that we are in. And this text does not give a lot of high points of encouragement for us to cling to this morning. It really is about the severity of God's judgment. But I do think that this text gives us hope. In fact, though subtle, I think that this passage gives remarkable hope to us as God's people this morning. Even while God's judgment is so severe, God's grace is present and God's grace proves capable of preserving God's people. First of all, notice all of the the hints of life throughout this text. In a passage that is so much about God's judgment, in a passage that really is going to speak about the whole world becoming a massive graveyard, there's still a lot of life to be seen here, right? Back in chapter 6, verse 18, God says to Noah, everything that is on the earth shall die, but I will establish my covenant with you and you shall come into the ark. Even as he speaks of his his judgment, he affirms his covenant promises. Why? 
Because he's a covenant-making and covenant-keeping God. Even as he turns to judge in his justice, he will not forget his grace for his people. And folks, even more so, now notice with me how God preserves his people. Verse 7, go into the ark. Verse 13, they entered the ark. Verse 15, they went into the ark. Verse 16, and the Lord shut him in. There are actually nine times in this short chapter that Noah and his family are spoken of as going into the ark or, or being shut into the ark by, by God himself. Friends, this is so significant. This is so, so important. God provided a place for Noah and his family to be secure a place for them to be preserved from his judgment. And we know, we saw this two weeks ago, that this was not because Noah was just a good person. No, we know that he's a sinner like the rest of humanity. Yet, God still preserves him. Look at how much it emphasizes God's role in this. It says in in verse 16, God shut him into the ark. This wasn't Noah's doing, it was God's doing. Now, many of the Many of the other ancient stories that you can read that include flood narratives, stories like the Epic of Gilgamesh and others that I mentioned earlier, in those stories, the people are the ones who who seal up the boat and launch it into the waters. But not in this story, church. Not here in this story. It is God who shuts in and seals them. Why? Because it is God's grace that is Noah's salvation, not Noah's obedience. It is God's favor, his mercy, his love for his people that preserves Noah and his family, not their obedience to him. All the glory is reserved for God alone. Friends, Just think about the picture that this is. God, Yahweh, who could have judged them like the rest of mankind, God shuts them into the ark. God covers them. He holds them. He he secures them. He, He seals them in. He shields them from his wrath that is coming. Think about this. This is explicitly the gospel, isn't it? While God must punish all sins, his grace preserves those that through faith are hidden in Jesus. Just as God shut Noah into the ark to preserve him from the flood of his judgment, so for those who believe that God sent his only son to bear the wrath that they deserved, in the same way, through faith, we are shut into Christ. We are hidden in him. This is why the New Testament talks so much about Christians who are hidden in him. He is our ark of mercy. He is our place of security. He is our shield against the storm of God's judgment. Listen, it is not that God just chooses to judge some and then just randomly chooses not to judge others. No, all of our sin must be punished, right? The only difference is whether he pours that judgment out on us or whether he pours that judgment out on his son, Jesus. And for those who are hidden in Christ through faith, their sins are fully punished through his work on the cross. The penalty for their sins, Christian, the penalty for your sins, past sins, 
present sins committed even this week and future sins that you will still commit. They are all fully absorbed by the work of Christ on the cross. There's no judgment left for you, Christian. There's none. Jesus drank the cup of God's wrath to the very bottom. Folks, this is why Peter in 1 Peter chapter 3 speaks of baptism as being a reflection, as coinciding with Noah in the flood. Wonderfully, in just a few minutes, we're going to celebrate two more baptisms as a church family. And what we see through baptism is the picture of God's judgment being poured out on Christ instead of on us. Biblically speaking, from this point forward, water becomes a sign of God's judgment and disfavors. And so when through baptism a person goes under the water, they are signifying how through the work of Christ their old life has been buried. Their old life of sin has been fully paid for by Jesus, swallowed up by God's judgment. That's what's pictured in baptism. But because they are in Jesus, they rise up out of those waters of judgment as a sign of the life that they now have in him. Judgment occurs, but life is preserved. Friends, Jesus is our substitute. This is called penal substitution. He he stood in our place. He endured the flood waters so that you and I would not have to. This is the gospel. But listen. The gospel is more than just penal substitution. The the gospel is more than just the fact that Christ absorbed God's wrath on our behalf. I personally think that that is primarily the gospel, but it's, it's much more than that as well. God's grace not only preserves Noah and his family, it gives them victory as well. When when it says that the waters prevailed over the flood, it means that God had victory over sin and death. He defeated darkness, and indirectly, that means that Noah and his family, they're victorious as well. God prevails, and so those who are in Christ also prevail. Christian, not only has Jesus been your substitute, he is now a glorious sign of your victory. Think about the picture of Noah and the flood and his family in that boat. It blows my mind. They are literally floating above death. They they are untouched by death and decay. In this moment, they're, they're untouched by their own sinfulness before God. God is preserving them. I love this picture of the ark just just floating above sin and death. Church, I don't want to be trite this morning, but in Jesus you too are floating above sin and death. It cannot touch you because of who you are in Christ. You are fully victorious in him, ultimately at the end and even today. Yeah, we still struggle with sin every day, absolutely. We are beset with weakness. Do we fail? Absolutely, of course we do. We will not be perfect until the final day. But in Christ, in our security through the gospel, we are victorious. Christian, in Christ, you are floating above the power of your pride. Your pride is not what God sees when he looks at you, nor are you to be bound by it. In Christ, you are floating above your lustful thoughts. Your lust is not what God sees when he looks at you, nor are you to be bound by it. Through Christ, your marriage, as broken as it feels, is not without hope because Christ can give you victory. Teenagers, listen, because of Jesus, you are able to float above the gossip 
and above the slander and above the fear of man that surrounds you at school every day. Teenagers, you do not need to drown in those thoughts. You do not need to drown in your own thoughts and condemnation. You are safe in Christ. He is able to preserve you. Listen, through Christ, we are even able to float above sin and death itself. And so, yes, our hearts mourn and grieve over the news of Jerry Summers being moved to hospice care. Our hearts ache for him and for Joe, who we love so very much. But we must remember, church, that both Jerry and Joe have been sealed into the ark of God's grace. And not even death can separate them from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Not even death. Christian, we have been given victory. He is our substitute and he is our victor. His work clothes us in victorious garments of righteousness. Our lives are not to be marked by failure. The banner over your life is that God will prevail over sin and death. You are hidden in him, sealed by his grace. Friends, have you ever gone water skiing? I've gone a few times, and I have to say I'm absolutely terrible at it. I don't think I've ever gotten up more than about five seconds at a time. But I love to watch people who are good at water skiing. Water skiing, as you know, starts with someone just, just bobbing up and down in the water. You can barely even see their head. If they weren't wearing the life preserver, they probably would be struggling to stay afloat. But then they grab a hold of that rope. They grab a hold of that rope and whoever's driving the boat takes off and they pick up speed and it is amazing. Suddenly, they are pulled out of that water. They rise right above it. They quite literally skim across the top of it. It's amazing to watch. They're quite literally flying along above the water. Usually, I fall down, but I'm too stubborn to let go, so I just kind of get dragged along for about a mile and a half. But it's amazing to watch. They fly. Church, this is who we are in Christ. Apart from Christ, we're just, we're just sitting in the water. No, we're not just sitting in the water. We're sinking in the water deeper and deeper into our sin and into our condemnation and into our guilt and into our shame. But when we grab hold of Christ by faith, we are carried up out of that water of sin and condemnation. We are carried out of the waters of God's judgment. We, you this morning, are given victory. And church, I just believe that there are people here this morning who need to hear this. Because of Jesus' victory, you have victory as well. Because of what he has done for you, the waves of darkness and the waves of depression and the waves of guilt and the waves of self-pity and the waves of marital strife and the waves of anger, they will not drown you. Cling to Jesus. Cling to him by faith and let him pull you out of those dark waters Come and talk to one of us as pastors. We would love to help you to find ways to cling more tightly to Jesus and to grow in all those areas of life as well. Church, while God's judgment will prevail against sin, his grace will preserve his people. I'll never forget that near-death experience in Brazil. What if that girl had not found that one rock to stand on? What then? What a catastrophe that would have been. 
Church, we have been given a rock to stand on. We have been given an ark to enter into. And so may we, by faith, cling to this rock. May we cling to Christ and may we walk in victory through him in every area of life.